All right. Well, uh, like Pastor Stephen, I had to practice multiple times not saying good morning. Um, so uh, Merry Christmas, everyone. It is uh, great to be with you uh, this evening as we uh, celebrate um, the Savior's birth and God's goodness to us. Uh, one of the privileges I have as a dad of, of three young kids is I get to see and, and experience uh, firsthand some, some joy, expectancy, uh, excitement that comes with Christmas. But um, I, I'm, I'm an analytical person, and so I always have to ask the question, why? Why are they excited? Why are they joyful? What are they expectant about? And uh, let's be honest, part of that is presence, right? There's, there's this expectation, there's this excitement around the idea of presence, and yet that doesn't, that doesn't fully describe it because they get presents at their birthdays as well, and they don't spend the, first, or the six months leading up to their birthday asking, is it Christmas yet? Uh, especially when we had that snow in mid-October here, uh, basically for the next, what, three months, every week, is it Christmas yet? Is Christmas coming? Is, how soon is Christmas? I think that part of the reason why there's this excitement about Christmas is because of the specialness of the story. It is a time of year that we, of course, we celebrate the story of our Savior's birth. But even if you are not a part of the church, uh, we can recognize our culture tells a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of stories at Christmas. We're flooded with stories uh, during the Christmas season. And some of those are, are good, high-quality stories. Some of those are, are bad uh, Come on, you could do better than that types of stories as well. And yet all of these different stories are trying to communicate something to us. They're trying to make sense of life, whether they realize it or not. They're trying to tell us the meaning and the purpose of life. So a couple examples for us. Uh, let's start with uh, Charles Dickens' classic, A Christmas Carol. What is the, the meaning or the purpose of that story? It is telling us about our priorities in life, right? It's making a statement about our priorities. Other stories, like Elf. Elf actually does the exact same thing. Miracle on 34th Street, it says the exact same thing. You're catching this trend, right? There's this, there's this sense when we get to these stories at Christmas about communicating something, and oftentimes it is about our priorities in life. The Christmas story, of course, communicates something to us as well, but it's not just something about our priorities in life. It is a message of salvation. As Pastor Stephen mentioned uh, earlier as we began our time together, we're going to do something a little unique tonight. We want to just, instead of focusing on the Christmas story and zooming in on all of the things that we have heard many times, we want to place that story in the broader context of the story of scripture. G.K. Chesterton was a Christian in the mid-1900s. I love the way he describes the way he looks at life. He says this, I have always felt life first as a story, and if there is a story, there is a storyteller. One of the reasons why I think that Christmas is so powerful for us is because we are a part of that story. The story that starts at the beginning of the Bible and will end and culminate at the end of the Bible, we, in our lives, we are a part of the story penned by the author of creation. 
So what I want us to do tonight is I want us to look at that story, starting in Genesis, and, and just seeing where it ends up, and hopefully seeing how our lives tie into it as well. The wonder of the Christmas story actually starts with the wonder of creation, all the way back in Genesis chapter 1, when God creates everything and he creates it good, many of us have probably experienced that wonder of creation when we stand in awe of what God has done. Whether it's mountains, or it's valleys, or it's forests, or it's the ocean, whether it's sunrises or sunsets or the night sky, we've stood in awe of God's creation, the wonder of what God has done. This was made very apparent to me the other night. I was uh, driving with my two sons on our way to uh, the YMCA, and it was around 5 o'clock at night, and the sun was just starting to set, and my two-year-old, it was one of the first times I think he's ever noticed a sunset, looks at the sunset and says, wow, so colorful. And my five-year-old, not to be outdone, is stumbling through his words, trying to communicate and convey the wonder of what he's experiencing and says, dad... Just this once, can I say what the heck? Because I don't have any other words to describe what I'm seeing right now. The wonder of creation is something that we've all experienced in our lives. And yet, when we look at the Bible, we see that the creation around us is not the chief pinnacle part of God's creation and of its wonder and of its beauty. Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 tells us that it is not mountains or sunrises or sunsets, but it is you and me. Augustine was a pastor in the 400s. He put it this way, people go abroad to wonder at the heights of mountains, at the huge waves of the sea, at the long courses of the rivers, at the vast compass of the ocean, at the circular motion of the stars, and they pass by themselves without even wondering. The chief wonder of God's creation, the crown jewel of his creation is humanity created in a special way, distinct from all the rest of creation. We are created in his image. What does that mean? What does it mean to be created in his image? It means a number of things, but for us tonight, we want to just focus on the fact that being created in his image means that we have been given a special task and a special privilege. God created humanity in his image so that his image would fill the earth like the waters cover the sea, and by extension, his glory would flood the earth. That God gave humanity a special task, a special job in creation. That they were to rule over the rest of creation alongside him, to dwell with him, to serve as kings and queens over all of creation. Can you just imagine how magnificent that would have been? That God's original plan for each and every one of us was to serve alongside him. Rule alongside him. To live alongside him. And yet, even if you don't know anything else about the Bible, you don't know what the next page, the next chapter tells us. You can look at your life, you can look at the lives of those who are around you, you can look outside, you can just watch the news for goodness sake, and you can tell that something went wrong. Something went wrong with God's original plan for creation. His original crown jewel of creation decided that it wasn't good enough to rule alongside God, to dwell with God. Instead, humanity decided, you know what, we want to rule over God. And they led, they led the rest of creation in this rebellion against him. And in that moment, creation broke. 
But before we're too hard on Adam and Eve, let's look inside and we can see that we do the exact same thing in our lives as well. That we have exchanged this goal, this this charge that God has given to each and every one of us to, to make his glory flood the earth like the waters cover the sea and say, nah. God, I don't want you to be on the throne of my life. I want to be the one who's on the throne of my life. And this is the crisis that faces God's creation. And we certainly see that today, don't we? We see the effects of this today. We're living in the midst of this pandemic. It is just one in a long, 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 long list of moments throughout history where God's creation has been crying out for redemption, asking God to come and fix our brokenness. It's not just COVID-19 that is an example of the crisis or the effects of the crisis of what started in the garden When a friend or a family member gets sick with cancer too soon, when natural disasters lead to the homelessness and the displacement of tens of thousands of people, when relationships are broken, something that you might be experiencing right now in this Christmas season, the corruption of systems that are supposed to work in our favor, all of these things are crises that are a result of the original crisis that we see In Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And yet all of these things are tied into that original crisis. The Bible tells us that there's something deeper, there's something more significant at work than just all of the brokenness we see around us. And that is that our relationship with God has been broken. Because humanity said, you know what, it's not good enough to serve you, to serve alongside you. We want to rule over you. God pronounced judgment upon humanity. He said, you can no longer dwell in my presence. And yet at the exact same time he said that, he also gave a promise. He said, someday I'm going to make a way to fix this. And he gives this prophecy moments after creation breaks. And this prophecy says, one day I'm going to send a boy, a son, who's going to make all things right. This is why the greatest crisis facing our creation isn't a pandemic. It isn't loneliness. It isn't any of the things that we see today. It is instead a broken relationship with God. There is no way to address all of the brokenness that we see around us without first acknowledging that there's a brokenness between us and between God. The reality is COVID-19 will soon be a thing of the past, but pandemics and plagues will continue to exist. We might find a way to solve our isolation or our loneliness in isolation, but loneliness will continue to run rampant. We might find a cure for cancer, and yet death will remain inescapable. We need someone to come and fix the greatest crisis facing us if we have any hope of eradicating the crises that we face today. And that's what the Bible is about. The story of the Bible is the story of God's plan to fix the problems that are facing us. All of us know that the world is not the way that it is meant to be. And we can admit that that the world isn't what it could be, right? The Bible tells us that God has a plan to fix it. God has a plan to fix the longings of your heart. God has a plan to address all of the wrongs that we see. 
And that is the story of Christmas. The longing of Christmas is for this perfection, this moment where all things are made right. What we're going to do now is we're going to sing our, or join our voices together in song, expressing, along with the church throughout the ages, the, the cry of our hearts, the longing to see God come and fix the brokenness that surrounds us. So I invite you to stand. Worship team, why don't you come up and you can lead us in worship. Those words remind me of um, Titus chapter 2, verse 11. I want us to, to just consider, essentially, Paul describing what takes place at Christmas. Titus chapter 2, verse 11, he says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. What an apt description of the Christmas story, isn't it? That grace has appeared. The Christmas story is all about God showing up, entering into a broken, messed up world as this helpless little baby so that he could save that broken and messed up creation. Just consider for a moment the weight of the words of, of this verse. For the grace of God appeared. At Christmas, we see the dawning of God's grace upon creation. That doesn't mean that God wasn't gracious before this moment, but at this moment, in the Christmas story, the reason why we are gathered together tonight, we see the grace of God come and live among humanity so that it could save humanity. John writes it this way, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. What does it mean that when Jesus comes, he brings grace upon grace? Well, simply put, it means that you will never be able to outrun God's grace. You will never be able to use up all of God's grace, that there's always more grace for those who would come to him. One of my favorite books puts it this way, if we offend enough, if a relationship gets damaged enough, if we betray enough times, in our human relationships we are cast out. The walls go up, and yet with Christ, our sins and our weaknesses are the very resume items that qualify us to approach him. Nothing but coming to him is required first at conversion and a thousand times thereafter until we are with him upon death. For the grace of God has appeared. And when we see that grace upon grace, a never-ending well of grace for you and me, it leads us to worship. Of course, the story doesn't stop with Christmas, does it? Christmas is just the first step or one step in this lifelong path of obedience for Jesus, this path that culminates in the cross 
and the empty tomb. Paul, he's talking to the church in Philippi, and he describes this moment of Christmas and what takes place after that and Jesus' obedience. He says it this way, He was in the form of God but did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. One of our family's favorite Christmas books makes this clear. It tells us that the story doesn't end, the Christmas story doesn't end with the shepherds hearing the good news in the fields. It doesn't even end a couple years later with, with Jesus being visited by these wise men. There's this collage of illustrations at the end of this Christmas story, this book that shows the obedience of Jesus throughout his entire life as a toddler, as a young boy, as an adolescent, as a teenager, as a man in his 20s, completely, utterly faithful and obedient to his God. You see, in the garden, humanity declared to God, my way over yours. And every single one of us who has ever lived, every single one of us who is in here this morning, has, uh, this evening, has said to God with our entire lives, my way over yours. And yet Jesus has said, not my way, but your way. Let your will be done. The story of the cross, the story of salvation, starts with the obedience of Christmas. When Jesus willingly says, not my will, but yours, and comes to earth to be born as a helpless little child. This is how the Christmas story ties into your life as well, because the story of Christmas, what it has accomplished, it, it reverberates down throughout the ages to today. Have you ever wondered why it seems as though God is silent? Have you ever even wondered, is there even a, a God? Have you ever wondered, why doesn't my life seem to line up with what the Bible says is going to happen, this abundant life for those who are going to make this commitment to follow Jesus? The story of Christmas may not answer all of our questions, but it does give us assurance that God keeps his promises. One of my favorite Christmas carols is Hark the Herald Angels Sing, especially the second verse. It says this, Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord, late in time behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb. What does that mean, late in time behold him come? That's the truth, right? Late in time, behold him come. In the infinite wisdom of God, this God who makes a promise all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, moments after sin enters into the world, moments after this rebellion, God says to humanity, I have a plan to fix it. In his infinite wisdom, he doesn't fix it right away. In fact, the people, Adam and Eve, they think that he's going to. The promise to them was that a, a, an offspring, a son of Eve, would save creation. But it's not Cain. It's not Abel. It's not even their next son, Seth. It's none of these people. And for millennia, it seems like God isn't answering his promise, and yet then we get to the person of Jesus. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb. 
But it would be wrong for us to conclude that what the, this carol is saying is, well, God, thanks for showing up, but you're a little late. No, it's describing what the, the author of Hebrews describes is that when Jesus comes, there is this new dawn, this new era of human history. Hebrews chapter 1 says, before this time, God spoke to us through the prophets, but in these last days, we're now living in the last days, God has spoken to us through his son. It may feel as though God is late. It may feel like God has forgotten you, that his promises go unanswered, but the Christmas story is proof positive that God may be long in keeping his promises in our eyes, but he will keep his promises. That the longings of our hearts will one day be satisfied in the person of Jesus because of the person of Jesus. And that's the message of Christmas. That's really what Christmas is all about. It's just simply longing for our home. Longing for the home that we were made for. You know, as we begin our time, I mentioned that one of the joys of being a dad of, of young kids is to see this excitement, all this joy, enthusiasm, expectation for Christmas. The magic of Christmas is a real thing. They love it. What if, instead of saying, no, you're missing the point, you're excited about all of these other things, and you should only be focused on this thing, what if, instead of saying that, we would say, these longings this excitement, this hope, this joy, this expectation, all of these things are just a whisper of what the Bible shouts. That the longings of your heart will one day be satisfied, that you will one day find a home in and because of Jesus. If you come to him. Christmas speaks of this longing that we have for our home. I love the way the, uh, the uh, author of Hebrews puts it, Hebrews chapter 11. These all died in faith, not having yet received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For people with this mindset make it clear that they are seeking a home, for they desire a better home that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Late in time, behold him come. Jesus may have been late in the sense that he didn't show up before these people in the Old Testament died in faith. And yet he did come to make a way for us to dwell with him again. Let's pray. God, we do thank you for the message of Christmas, the beauty of this moment. I ask that you would give us eyes to see the story of Christmas in the context of the entire Bible, the beautiful story of what you are doing to bring us back to you. Thank you, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Let's, uh, let's respond with the goodness of, of what Christ has done for us through song. Would you please stand and join us in song?